The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Businesses are in the business of behavior change. No matter what you sell or service you offer, your goal is to try and get people to change their behaviors. Independent cafes want people to switch from major chains to try their organic coffee. Barbers want to encourage blokes to have a beard trim with their haircut. Manufacturers want us to think a £400 vacuum cleaner is worth it because it's portable and light. All businesses from B2B to B2C try to change behaviour, which is why studying behavioural science is so important because behavioural science reveals not only how behaviours change, but the specific principles that can inspire change. Today I'm bringing two behavioural science experts on the show, Ella Jenkins and Mike Hughes, both a senior behavioural science consultant at Ogilvy. They help businesses understand and apply behavioural science to products and services. It's no easy job. The field of behavioural science is large. There are thousands of experiments, hundreds of known principles. Knowing what works isn't easy. To help, Ella and Mike wrote the Ogilvy Behavioural Science Annual of 2022. The award-winning annual walks through a collection of Ogilvy's case studies filled with applied behavioural science. They share successes and failures, and over the next two Nudge episodes, they'll share some of the very best examples with you. Over to Mike and Ella to introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Mike Hughes. I'm a senior consultant in the behavioral science practice in Ogilvy and the creative lead too. Uh, pleasure to say hello to everyone. And I'm with Ella. Hey guys, I'm Ella. I'm a consultant in the team um, and I lead on a lot of the health behavior change projects as well as a lot of the trainings. Um, and Mike and I have been lucky enough to develop the annual this year. Yeah, so those who, uh, I'm sure you've all read the annual by now, for those few of you who haven't, uh, the annual is our collection of social initiatives and behavioural interventions from all the Ogilvy teams around the world. So all the behavioural science challenges that we face we bring together in one compendium every year. Now, in this episode, Mike and Ella are going to share examples from the annual. And sometimes I think it's helpful to have the images that they are referring to handy. So I have left a link to download the annual in the show notes if you want to download it and then follow along on your phone or laptop or wherever you're listening. I've also left some links to the actual images too, so you can click those when we get to those points in the show. Anyway, I'll hand over to Mike who walks through the first case study. I'm going to start first with a really unique but really important challenge that we found ourselves in in Ecuador. And in Ecuador, we found there's a huge child malnutrition problem in Andean communities. 300,000 children each year have chronic undernourishment. And it's quite an invisible challenge because one of the symptoms for undernourishment is that children 
um, are have stunted growth. And what happens there is the families see the babies are um, the the babies actually appear heavier because they're, they're smaller. So the the families there think that the babies are healthy, but they're not. So it's an invisible issue that we needed to overcome. There was also a distinct behavioural challenge here that we found that when we when we spoke to these Antonian communities, we found that there was a mistrust in modern medicine. And that included some of the medical practices, but also some of the authorities in medicine. So we had a real trust issue that we had to get over. Now, the behavioural insight that, that the teams developed here was an insight called behavioural bundling. Now, behavioural bundling tells us that if we want people to do a new behaviour, it's sometimes much easier to add a new behavior onto an existing behavior. So we know that if people are currently doing new um, certain behaviors, just adding a smaller behavior into that means that we can be more successful in adopting this new behavior. And what we did was we to really highlight this issue of growth and of stunted growth in children, we took inspiration from one of the deepest cultural connections Andanian mothers have with their babies. And that's the sakinchi. The sakinchi, you may have seen this, it's a, a robe that the, the mothers used to tie their babies to themselves. So they wrap themselves and the babies in their sakinchi. And they'll use this when they're, when they're walking, when they're traveling and when they're working as well. And what we did was re, we reinvented this sakinchi using the WHO infant growth chart. Now, as we said earlier, there's a mistrust in some medical authorities. So we use the information, but we placed it in a really cultural way. We just redesigned it onto these beautiful sakinchis. We, we produced new sakinchis with beautiful designs that had the growth chart designed into the look and feel of the blanket. So rather than a, a piece of like medicalized information from WHO, this was now just some simple lines that the mothers and the families could see how high their babies were growing compared to how high they should be. Over 15,000 chronic cases of malnutrition were identified just in the first three months alone of rolling out these new skinchies and pedia pediatric, easy for you to say, visits in isolated and in communities increased by 70%. So stunning figures there, just by adapting what was already culturally relevant to these communities, but in a very piece, a very important piece of information. I'll reiterate that. 15,000 cases of malnutrition were found. That's astonishing, especially when you consider what they didn't do. They didn't employ hundreds more doctors to check for malnutrition. They didn't spend millions on a big marketing campaign. They went with a much, much cheaper approach. What is so brilliant about this example is other, more expensive ideas probably wouldn't have worked as well. Mike shares how the community was hesitant about taking advice from the government officials. That meant typical media campaigns wouldn't have worked as they wouldn't have been trusted. This is partly due to something called reactance. It's the unpleasant feeling we all feel when rules or regulations threaten to eliminate our own freedom. Zoe Chance shares a classic reactance study in her book Influence is Your Superpower. 
In the study, two-year-olds were taken into a lab and asked which of the two toys they wanted to play with. Now, one toy was easily accessible right in front of the child. The other toy was behind a perplex glass barrier, slightly further away. And as you can guess, the kids consistently picked the toy behind the barrier, regardless of what toy it was. They would swap it around in different versions of the experiment. We want the freedom of choice, and if someone is looking to limit our choice, we push back. If the Ogilvy team had suggested mothers take their children to WHO officials to check for malnutrition, the campaign would have been a failure. Reactants would have set in, and people would have done the opposite. Instead, they created a solution that helped mothers help their babies, ultimately saving thousands of lives. Okay, back to Mike and Ella for case study number two. Okay, so from Ecuador over to India, and Ella's going to talk now about how we created what we call some good, clean fun. So we were approached with the challenge that in rural India, in small towns, children were not washing their hands in the way that was actually going to lead to hygienic behaviour. Now, the issue here wasn't that children weren't washing their hands. They actually had a really strong habit to wash their hands before they ate, after they finished playing, after they went to the toilet. But they actually weren't washing with soap. They were just washing with water. And there's a couple of reasons underlying this. Um, There was quite strong beliefs in the communities that washing with water is the norm, it's perceived to be enough, and it's perceived to actually um, get rid of the dirt. But another reason for this is that um, when when you wash your hands, there's no visible indicator that you've actually done the thing. So people, the children themselves were kind of struggling to get any feedback that what they were doing maybe wasn't enough. So we were approached with the idea of how do you take, get children to take up this new behaviour of washing their hands with soap as well as water. Now, since children often don't take up a new behaviour simply by being told, we needed to create this new habit. And research suggested that children in these schools were still using using chalk and black slate boards to, to write with. And actually, after they were using the chalk, they often got chalk all over their hands. And it was smeared all over their fingers and their palms. So creatively, we made the leap of actually stacking um, the habits on themselves. So adding soap and infusing it into the chalk so that when children use the chalk and got the chalk all over their hands... Once they then washed them, the chalk itself became soap. So in behavioural science terms, this is known as behavioural bundling, like we spoke about previously, or habit stacking, where a new behaviour is introduced on the back of an existing habit. So after we created the intervention, the chalk sticks were prototyped and then launched in a large-scale trial. And initially they went out to 100 schools, but as the demand grew, they ended up actually being distributed to over 150,000 students which was equivalent to 50,000 boxes of chalk sticks. And this demand itself suggested that the children were using these chalk sticks and they were actually having the desired behavioural effect. So it did have a positive impact on hand-washing behaviours. It picked up a lot of traction online too. So this innovation was released as an online video, which helped to start a conversation about the importance of hand hygiene for children. And then this itself was picked up by the news and it actually reached over 5 million people on social media. So hopefully helping not just to spread awareness, but also change habits and change behaviour in children all across India. Habit stacking is a powerful way to change behaviour. 
By clustering the behaviour with habits we already possess, we stand more chance of accomplishing a new task. Katie Milkman has run studies on habit stacking that shows that it can also keep people going to the gym. In her experiment, non-gym goers were asked to go to the gym as much as possible to help form a hard habit. But in the experiment, 50% were allowed to habit stack. They were given an iPod with an audiobook that they wanted to listen to. But they were told they could only listen whilst they were working out. After your workout, the iPod would be locked away until he came back to the gym. Now, as you can expect, the participants who habit stacked, the ones who worked out with the audiobook, were 55% more likely to keep coming back to the gym even after the experiment when the audiobook was finished and completed. To keep customers coming back to your product or service, couple your service with something else the customer might want. Another great example of this, in marketing in particular, is from the British Fire Brigade. They told people to test their fire alarms when the clocks changed. Now this is a classic habit stack. When the clocks change, you will have your step letter out to go change the clock most probably. So why not also test your fire alarm too? The original advertising for toothpaste was built on habit stacking as well. The core message was simple. It said, brush your teeth after breakfast, brush your teeth before bed, aka during the times when you're in the bathroom anyway. Of course, we can brush our teeth at any time of day, but habit stacking made that habit actually stick. Before that public health campaign, only 10% of Americans brushed their teeth. After, 67% did. It's up a lot more from that today, in case you're wondering. Now, next up, we'll hear about how Ogilvy redesigned a yogurt packet to attract customers and help them understand the health benefits. But first, there's a very quick 60-second ad. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Um, so next, we are back in the UK and Ireland. And this is in product design. And product design is a huge area for for the work that we do, what are the behavioral optimizations that we can bake in to products? And we say that we have to work at the early stages with product designers, with packaging designers, because we feel that if we don't have behavioral insights baked in early, then when we get to the later stage of development, we'll be missing a huge psychological insight, which which we won't know that... Um, can stop people using a product or service until it's too late. So Nomadic Dairy came to us with a new product that they developed called 
Yogurt Plus. And this was a new range of products that had a blend of nutrition that give us extra support for our immune system. Now, the problem here is that immune support yogurt isn't a hugely familiar category, or it certainly wasn't to us anyway before we started working on this. So we know that our customers will make decisions in split second on a, uh, a product when it's on the shelf. So we really wanted to overcome that um, unfamiliarity with the product and the category. But also as well, beneficial ingredients like vitamins and proteins, these can often use more scientific units of language and measurements such as UG or micrograms, which we don't really know what they are. We just trust that they might be scientific. What Mike has just shared has studies that back it up. Abstract terms like vitamin D, dairy cultures and whey protein, they just aren't as easy for us to understand and recall. In 1972, Begg gave people a list of phrases. Some of the phrases were concrete, e.g. square door, and other phrases were abstract, e.g. absolute truth. Later, he asked people to recall as many of the phrases as they could, and people were three times more likely to remember the concrete phrases compared to the abstract ones. This applies to marketing. Words like dairy cultures are hard to remember, and thus it is hard for customers to know if they're beneficial or not. We also uh, borrowed from a speedometer graphic, and we showed the dials in different places. So the the full dial was 100%, and you could see how much of the daily um, uh, daily intake you needed of each and where the, the dial was. So it's got 95% of all the vitamins that I need to take each week suddenly it's really easy for me to understand as i say knowing that we make these decisions for split seconds on the shelf it was really now very easy for customers to understand so it's such a simple intervention but like i said earlier it's so important to understand those psychological insights and design them into the um, packaging at the early stages because if we don't and and we release the first product then the products can be left on the shelf because we've not addressed these psychological insights. You've got a real combination of principles in here. First, there is goal dilution. The idea that if you present too many benefits, consumers will be overwhelmed and fail to remember any. So rather than highlighting all of the benefits in the yogurt, they focused on just three. Next, they used anchoring to help people understand the benefits. Rather than saying 0.6 milligrams of protein, they used a speedometer to show it's 100% of your suggested daily allowance. Finally, they tweaked the language from abstract phrases to concrete phrases to make them more memorable. Rather than listing the scientific names of the cultures in the yogurt, they said 14 gut-friendly cultures. Knowing that we might only glance at the product on the shelf for less than a second, these nudges were noticeable and attention-grabbing, helping buyers understand and remember the benefits. There's another similar example that I've seen with Huel's Instagram ads. Huel, who sell protein shakes, use all of these principles in their own ads. Now, rather than saying their shakes contain 4.5 milligrams of proteins, 1.3 milligrams of potassium, they use gold dilution, anchoring, and concrete phrases. They say more protein than six eggs, all the vitamin C of an orange, and more potassium than a banana. And they finish with a final bit of hyperbolic discounting saying just £1.68 per meal. 
This ad, which you can see in the show notes, by the way, I've left an image to it in there, must be doing something right because it's been promoted across social media for months. Okay, today we've heard how behavioural science has helped identify malnourished babies, encouraged children in India to wash their hands, and Brits to eat the right amount of vitamin D. Mike and Ella have shown how behavioural science can offer a solution to all types of problems, from public to private, and hopefully you can see how these principles of behavioural change could apply in your work. That is all for today. Mike and Ella will be back on the next episode of Nudge, sharing how they try to get folks to freeze leftover bread and how they increase downloads for a French train app by 45% with one cost-free Nudge. It is a cracker, so please don't miss it. Sign up to the Nudge newsletter and I'll send you an email as soon as that show goes live. So if you want to sign up to that, click the link in the show notes. As always, if you like the show, please subscribe wherever you listen. That helps Nudge climb the charts, so hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the show right now. And do please leave a review as well, as that also helps us grow. In fact, why don't you do both when you next make your cup of coffee or tea to experience a bit of habit stacking yourself? All right, thank you all for listening, folks. See you at the next episode of Nudge.